0: Mississippi State beats NC State 24-10, to 10, and honestly, it sounds a lot closer than it felt watching the game. That's what I'm going to talk about here in episode 11 of the Better Than Average podcast. I'm Matt Wyatt. Better than average. You play football. Football? Oh, no. Juggernaut of a podcast. Better than average. It's like a radio show that's not on the radio. Coach, it's a great day for you, huh? Yeah, it's better than average, I'll tell you that. <laughs> This podcast is supported by Mississippi Land Bank. Anything in North Mississippi land-related, buying or selling, go to mslandbank.com. And it's supported by Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance and your local Farm Bureau Insurance agents, your hometown heroes in all 82 counties across the state of Mississippi. All right, so welcome in. Uh, It was a 24-10 final you know, in the meaningful guts of the game, it was 24 to three, and the defense was really controlling the football game until, you know, right at the end where they go pretty much prevent and let them throw the football down the field, made them play against the clock, kept it in front, didn't give up a quick score. Your philosophy changed at the end because you pretty much had the game won, honestly. And on that last possession, you wind up giving up that late touchdown. But so it closed the gap, but again, it, you know, made it feel like it was a, closer game than actually it was state really dominated the football game because of its defense and physicality and that's what i thought i would do with you here is you know kind of journey through first some of the details from the game that stood out to me um then take a look at at balancing the positives versus whatever negatives came out of that and we've got plenty of time to I think throughout the week and in the next week, kind of really consume and decide and discern what it means overall. It's just one ball game, but second one of the year. And what is labeled as your toughest non-conference game, You still got to play Memphis and, and another one late in the year, but, you know, it should be anyway, your toughest non-conference, but uh, Memphis will do everything they can to say something about that. But anyway, you know, it, you know, you win those, it's a big deal and it's a, Potentially a confidence-building win for State. But I won't necessarily get into the overall, the impact in this one. We'll look at, again, specifics from the game, positives and negatives. And before I'm done, I want to look at a couple things, uh, where Will Rogers is statistically right now compared to the rest of the SEC, and then a curiosity I had about State's schedule versus some of the other ones, uh, at least at this point in the year. Anyway, plenty of time to get to that. So uh, here's – my thoughts sort of encapsulating some of the high points of the ball game, and, you know, how State was able to go get it done the way they did. Number one idea for me coming out of this is State was more physical than their opponent. I saw where after the game, I guess it was Jalen Green, the safety. And he had a big night, right? He had some tackles, obviously, and had an interception in the end zone, recovered a fumble that was caused by Jet Johnson. So he was certainly around and had some big plays, was a part of some big plays in the game. But I saw right after the game he said that Coach really challenged them to be the more physical team in the game. And Boy, I really thought they were in, in just about all phases. Some examples, that opening kickoff. Go back and watch the opening kickoff that was returned by Tulu Griffin. Sherman Tims is out in front. He was kind of right in the middle as – Griffin brought the ball up and he had a nice block. He's in the right spot, locked the guy up, made sure someone didn't come in there and, you know, spin him around or make contact earlier where he could really get ahead of steam. So that was a key block. And then you see over on the left side of the return team, Colin Duncan, number 19, your starting safety on the return team with a pancake block, turns a guy over. It was not holding. I mean, he had leverage. He turned him sideways and then just drove him back first into the ground just to, a dominating, crushing block that I felt like was the key b- block that sprung Tulu Griffin to that last level back there, where the kicker was and the safety guy, and he made them both miss. It was a a really physical block there, kind of setting the tone. It was a great block, maybe the in terms of momentum. What a huge play that was to return the opening kickoff, and you just light that candle right off the bat, you know. That block was huge. And, you, again, you sort of sent a message, hey, we're going to be the more physical team that did it on the opening kickoff. That's a good example. You know, there are plenty of examples on defense, the way the corners played and came up and, and tackled against the screen game and the run game. Um, the fact that State just defensively overall held NC State to 32 yards rushing. You look at Crummety on the edge – I thought Randy Charlton was really physical in the ball game. Certainly, Tyrus Wheat—he's knocking people around. So, you know, State's defense was was much more physical than the NC State offense in the ball game. The also the sacks and tackles for loss will illustrate that. But I even thought offensively, there were plenty of examples of State was more physical than their defense. You know, um, Dylan Johnson catching a pass in the flat and turning up on their linebacker, not going out of bounds and lowering his shoulder and running right through the kid. And he injured him. kid had to leave the game and he was not able to come back in. You hate that for him. I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but, you know, that was one of those where, hey, I'm sending the message. I'm the more physical player here, out here at this point of contact. Uh, I'm not only going to initiate contact, I'm running right through you. And, and boy, he did. You know, so um, – there were examples all over in all three phases. State was the more physical team. And, you know, listen, nine out of 10 times, really 99 out of a hundred, you look at the games, the teams that win, the most physical team wins it. It really is tried and true. And just because you want to beat, doesn't mean, you can't, you're able to go out and be physical against everybody. But, uh, because, you know, other teams have good players too. But this is one where State was obviously the more aggressive, hungry, physical football team on the field, obviously. And so that was the big thing I felt like the overall, the umbrella idea of the game that helped State to sort of dominate it for the most part and, and even dominate it statistically until at the end when they threw for a bunch of yards going down the field in two late drives and State was just trying not to give it the big play. Uh, Another big part of this game were the corners, I felt like. Now, again, don't let final stats fool you. You know, the kid for NC State finished with 300 yards at the end of the night throwing the ball. But, again, a lot of that was late fourth quarter. You know, you looked up there and during the guts of the game into the fourth quarter when State had built the 24-3 lead, you know, there was, what, eight, nine minutes left of the game it kind of felt like it was over at that point. State was just not going to let them run the ball. And at that point, NC State had not even gone over 200 yards of offense yet as a team. And a big reason for that was you know, really the only offense they had was a maybe a back shoulder throw or two out on the outside because outside of that, Forbes and Emerson both were locked up in coverage all night long. They closed those windows on sidelines – They didn't allow throws to easily be made. And then at the same time as covering, they came up and tackled the run game so well. And Forbes wound up being your leading tackler in the ball game. They'd come up and play on the line of scrimmage. And then there were other times where they didn't get fooled. You know, last week, La Tech got back in the game by getting Forbes to bite on a pump screen, pumping that underneath screen to get him to bite and then throwing it over his head. And there was a key moment in the game where – uh, NC State came out and tried the exact same thing in the exact same part of the field exact same formation they pumped it, Forbes did not bite on it covered it down the field quarterback got flushed and the defense got off the field so corners were really good uh, in this game in a lot of different ways they were a huge reason you know, you're know, you locking people up on the outside and coverage, you're confident that you're doing so for the most part you're, And and even when you give up throws, it's responsible right you know you're not letting them run by you to give them a big play and it just freed up your your defensive coordinator arnett to put people on the line of scrimmage and go after the quarterback pressure the run play the run on the way to the qb and they did it very successfully um offensive line i thought overall the offensive line was better this week i know they did that without even having to go count it and i I did go watch the game over again today and pulling out some plays for the cut-ups and getting ready for a film study video that I'll work on the next couple of days and get it put out there. But um, I didn't count up the number of times that they picked up a stun or a twist or whatever. I just know that I saw it a bunch during the game where they actually picked that stuff up. Protection was cleaner for the most part throughout the ball game. You know, and you got an an aggressive physical defense for NC State, or at least they've shown they are last year and in week one this year, who came away with one sack on the night and only three TFLs and are credited anyway with only one QBH, only one quarterback hurry. And I think, you know, the, the game itself and the film and everything backs that up. Now, you'd love for them to you know, I guess, create more holes in the run game. You only handed it off to uh, Dylan Johnson six times. You handed it off to Marks six times. So you didn't have a ton of times that you actually called a run play. Um, And, you know, I mean – Six carries for Johnson, one of those popped for eight yards. Six carries for Marks, one of those he pops it for six. He never had the big, long run, but that's not what you're trying to do with that run game. Um, I just thought that overall offensive line took a step. He still had some penalties, yeah. He had a holding here, there. Lots of things to clean up. I'll get to that. And, and I you know, I say clean up just because that's the term we all use, but I probably should just say to work on. It's not as simple as Will will clean it up. You just have to keep working on it. Mm. But overall, they played better. And uh, Will was uh, efficient, didn't hit every throw. But you're not going to, and you go out and you throw it 50 times in a ball game, you're just not going to hit every throw. Now, nobody is. It's hard to be perfect. But um, mm. a big reason you didn't have turnovers either in the game is because your offensive line uh, did a did a much better job this week. Frankly, again, it's a, a much better team. And then, you know, the probably the fourth thing that jumps out to me about the game is the play of Will Rogers. He goes 33 of 49, 294 yards, two touchdowns, no picks. What is that, 70%? I mean, I'm sure it is. I you can probably hear me. I'm ta- uh, typing it up on my phone here. No, not 70%. I got him at 67%. 33 of 49, is that right? Yeah, 67%. So I put him at, what, 75% on the year after last week. And that's the thing about it. You know, um, for Will, it's a really good, efficient night running the offense. I thought he did a nice job on some checks as well. Um, But, you know, 63, 64%. You, on on forty nine throws, you go for two ninety four two touchdowns, and the biggest thing is you don't turn it over at all, no fumbles, no picks. Manage it. Um, it not his best game overall, but made some of his best throws. I mean, the throw to Heath for a touchdown at back pylon. You just you couldn't throw it any better. Uh, Heath had tight coverage. He did get position, but the defender was there. If it's underthrown at all, it's not a touchdown. Because the coverage was in his pocket. I mean, it was that close. And he actually might have gotten away with a little bit of a push off there, he extended that right arm, but they didn't call it. And it was a nice catch, but the ball was just absolutely thrown perfectly uh, on a dead run in a really small window there. You couldn't throw it any better. You know, Will did a great job in the pocket this week. Um, you know, a couple of times that he ran out of there. And I I don't remember, honestly, one time him leaving the pocket when he didn't do the right thing. Three examples of that would be there was a time in the second half where he escapes, strung it out to his right all the way to the sideline, runs, 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 and then threw it out of bounds. And it was an early down. It was not a third down. And it was the right thing to do, not force it, throw it out of bounds, come back, run the next play. I was proud of him for doing that. Uh, there was another time, you know, where he escaped to his right. He's running toward the sideline, the far sideline, the NC State sideline. They were going the other way. And Dylan Johnson, who had checked it down on a, a out in the flat, began to then move back towards the middle of the field away from the defender, and Will hit him as he scrambled. It turned into a big play uh, in the pass game. Matter of fact, I think it was a 26-yard play on that throwing catch that Will kind of created extending the pocket. That was the right thing to do. He was patient. And then the touchdown to Wally was one where, you know, he's back there. I'd have to go back and look. I think it was a play where they rushed three. Offensive line just stood him up, kept him out. He had all day long. And a lot of people are going, run, run. But you don't want him running. You want him getting the ball to somebody else. And so he's patient. And when he eased forward as if, you know, he might run, up comes a linebacker and he zips it in the back of the end zone to Wally. It's not he managed the pocket well, but even more than than the plays where he left, you know, the throws in the pocket, some third down throws. Um, you know, he had third down out route completion to his left once to Austin Williams on a third and long. Same thing on an out route to the far sideline into our bench once on a third and ten to Wally, and he caught it at the stick and Sometimes where he's hanging in that pocket making those throws, it was a good pocket awareness night and a comfortable night for him back there. thought he took a step in that regard. You know, Will was not perfect, as I mentioned. You know, it was a night where he missed by about a foot or two, either up or down or out, some really big plays. He'd tell you that. You know, sure, <clears throat> the, the early throw might have been the first series of the game on the third down play when the pocket was there he started to move because they kept him out so long he started to move a little bit and Wally came open on the cross route to his left and he just missed him out in the flat and if he'd hit him after he crossed if he caught that ball he scores you know there were only there was nobody on that side of the field and there were only two defenders down the field covering covering Mississippi State receivers who would then turn and block and i think Wally would have turned it up made had a chance to score on the long play but you just missed him, and then you know the coulda, shoulda, woulda been targeting on Polk in the second half when you tried to hit him in the end zone, but the throw was high. That one just got away from Will because you had him for a touchdown. Um, you know, so yeah, there are two or five throws throughout the game where. Oh, yeah, the other one was when he was sort of escaping the pocket or moving forward late in a progression on a the throw there. And before he crossed the line of scrimmage, he turned to his right and fired it up the sideline to um, Dylan Johnson, You know who made the diving catch for a first down. And if he had stuck him with it running, he may turn it up and score because there's just nobody over there. They left him totally alone. So he had some of those where it's your foot off here, you're, you make it a hard catch there, you just miss a throw. He made all these other throws throughout the game. But if he had been closer to perfect and made those throws too, it actually could have been a huge night uh, for the offense. I think he'd be the first to tell you that. So I think it's great that yeah, two games in, uh, quality opponents, 2-0, and improvement from week one to week two, uh, more physical against another Power 5 team, yet you still point to it and go, we actually left some points on the field. Um, and and could have blown the doors off this game i think that is some there is some truth in that okay um let's do positives and negatives i already talked about a lot of the positives but uh here a few more let's talk about jet johnson i thought this was a a career night for him and a step forward and Not that he didn't play well last week, he did, but he really popped and and made some key plays in this game, your second leading tackler. In the postgame radio, we have to come up with a Chevron star of the game, but we split it up and gave it both to Emmanuel Forbes and Jet Johnson. Uh, Forbes, your leading tackler with 11, nine of those solo. Jet Johnson had nine tackles, five solo. He was your second leading tackler, but he was in on a TFL. He broke up a pass. He forced that fumble. That was recovered by Green. And Jet was just really active, you know, and, and Mike Leach really bragged on him in the post game. I thought he was a tremendous positive uh, for the defense. Gave you a ton of really good competitive snaps. He was active at the line of scrimmage. He pressured some. You know, he, he didn't get a QBH or a sack or anything, but he had some times where he's um, stunning, blitzing, taking on a blocker and pushes him back, right? He doesn't get stood up or knocked down or moved out of the way, he actually takes the blocker into that sort of comfort zone of the quarterback, which was key. So I thought Jet had his best game he's ever had at State, and hopefully that's a sign of things to come. And I know the coaching staff likes him a lot, obviously. Another positive, State was more consistent in all three phases collectively. Now, that does not mean everybody was consistent like you want or – you know, reaching this level of consistency on offense or special teams because you know punting was an issue the other night. Uh, you lost field position because of poor punts and and not really controlling the ball um, the way Dylan I almost said Dylan Day the way Tucker Day wanted to. Uh, so there's some there, but when you go, okay, your return game was good. Your punt return game was effective. Um, you did what you needed to do in field goals, extra points. You know, Rees had to leave, a little nagging, something going on there. I don't know if it's foot, ankle, leg, hamstring, but something like that. And somebody else comes in and hits a field goal for you late, which turned out to be big. So um, there's just they took a step forward in terms of consistency on in all the phases, pass pro, you know, tackling, uh, all that kind of stuff. And a huge positive in the game is no turnovers, okay? So you talk about going to work on things or playing a better ballgame than you did the week before. You know, last week you had four turnovers. This week come back and don't have any and win the turnover battle in a big way. You know, you're plus three in turnovers this week. So those are all big positives. All right, now here's a couple of negatives thought probably the biggest negative in the game were the penalties uh you know last week you had what 11 penalties and well over 100 yards this week had nine penalties and and 60 yards so uh still too many right nine penalties the yardage ultimately is the most important thing but the devil's in those details because depending on when those nine penalties happen you know and if it's on a play after you've gotten a first down and it takes it back and now it's fourth down. You know, those things can, can really be magnified even if it's not a lot of yards. But So nine penalties, 60 yards, that's, they didn't from one week to the next really improve in the penalty category uh, all that much. And so that was a negative. And then I would say something I touched on earlier, I think it's a negative, was probably the the almost plays, the just missed plays. And – you can call it a negative. I I think it probably is. If you're just being realistic, it just shows you uh, how close you are to really exploding on some good teams. If you hit all those things, you know, you hit that flat route to or that crossing route after he crosses you know, gets through the tr- traffic in the middle of the field to Wally early on, or you hit Polk in the end zone, or you hit uh, Johnson as he's standing up. You know, you know, th- there are some other things too. Um, But those are just examples, so you had some just misses in there. Um, And then I would say, too, it's a negative. The the punting was a negative the other night. Um, That's got to be better going forward. you got to be able to flip the field position and give your defense a little more room to work. But fortunately, it was a night where State's defense, for the meaningful part of the game, just absolutely dominated its opponent physically, played on their side of the line of scrimmage. So. That'd be all I'd have to say about the negatives. Will Rogers actually leads the SEC in pass yards right now. Uh, he's got two more yards than Matt Corral at Ole Miss. He's got, oh, not quite, but almost 100 yards more than Bryce Young at Alabama. And a little over 100 yards more passing than Connor Bazelak at uh, Missouri. Those are your guys in top four. Levis at can th- Kentucky's in the top five in terms of passing yards right now. So Rodgers leads the league in passing yards with 664 of those. I'm looking here. He also, in a huge way, leads the league in completions and attempts. Uh, so he's got more yards. Uh, he's got – he's at 72 completions, which is, um, what, 17 more than the next closest in completions, which is Connor Bazelak from Missouri. He's got 96 attempts, Will Rogers does, passing attempts, which is the most in the SEC right now. And I had to put him at uh, 13 more attempts than Connor Bazelak of Missouri. In terms of yards, Will Rogers and Matt Corral are one and two. Rogers at 664, Corral at 662. But it is notable... Uh, Will has a much higher completion percentage. He leads the SEC in that category as well. He's at 75% completion so far in two games, and Bryce Young's at 70%. uh, Corral and Bazelak at 66%. Uh, Bo Nix is at 74%, too, by the way, uh, over at Auburn. Now, um, if you're comparing the top two, Corral... So he's got those 662 yards on 43 completions, almost 30 fewer completions. So his completion percentage is lower, but that's because the yards per attempt are way higher for him um, right now. And Will is sitting there at five touchdowns, one pick. Um Tops in the SEC, Bryce Young, Alabama, has got seven touchdowns, no picks. Several other players, three other players have six touchdowns Corral, Basilac and Max Johnson of LSU have all thrown three. I'm sorry, have all thrown six touchdowns. And then Will Rogers, with five touchdown passes, is tied for third in the SEC with Levis from Kentucky, Bo Nix of Auburn, and Zeb Nolan from South Carolina. So anyway, that's kind of how that stacks up. And, uh, yeah, so he's, you know, I just thought I'd give you that statistic that right now against uh, the two teams he's played uh, at the top, and we'll see if that continues. But completion percentage, really good. Sitting there at 75%, a point ahead of Bo Nix. Those two guys kind of leading the SEC in a a big way in completion percentage. You pair that with Will, he's at the top of the league in yards. And so – a lot of room for improvement, but he's off to a good start. So I thought I would look and compare the the opponents in the first two weeks for everybody. How would you answer this question? Who in the SEC has played the best two opponents? The best two opponents combined or collectively in the first two weeks? Um, and it might be fair to compare the ones that are two and zero, but you know, however you wanted to look at it, it's it's really still just a subjective thing. You know, depending on how you think about it versus how I think about it. But it's neat to take a look. You see where people stand. You see where the win loss records are. And then uh, statistically, where people are. Um, you could make the case that. Um, you know, it's not Florida and let's go through the East Florida's first two opponents right now. They're two and Oh, they play Florida Atlantic and South Florida, um, have not had the strongest schedule. Um, you know, it could be Georgia, Georgia, you know, combined playing Clemson and UAB. Um, you know, if you look at it collectively, maybe they've played the two best. I mean, you know, add them up the, the best two games. Uh, I, UAB looked pretty good in the first week, but they're playing an FCS, so I don't know if they're really any good or not. We know Clemson's going to be good, and Georgia shut them out. Um, the first two from Missouri was Central Michigan and Kentucky. And pretty decent. Uh, South Carolina's first two opponents were Eastern Illinois and East Carolina, so they're not the top in terms of the, uh, the best two. It wouldn't be Tennessee, even though they played Pitt, who's a competitive ACC team. Pretty good ACC team, actually. Bowling Green in week one, Vandy, ETSU, and Colorado State. You look at the Western Division teams. Bama started off with Miami and Mercer. Arkansas started off with Rice and then Texas. Uh, it certainly wouldn't be Auburn, and, and their stats will back that up. They started off with Akron and then Alabama State. Now, LSU at UCLA and then McNeese this past week. Um, look at Ole Miss. They went Louisville and Austin P. Texas A&M's first two were Kent State and then at Colorado this past week and, of course, Mississippi State. La Tech and NC State, you know, when you look at it, um, make a comparison to see where these teams are, especially the ones that are 2-0 and and who they are 2-0 and against kind of collectively. Um, I'll give you – I'll just give you a – you know a for instance you know Kentucky is 2 and 0 right now and they played Louisiana Monroe and then Missouri that's probably wouldn't you say that's probably pretty similar right there to Mississippi State playing La Tech and then NC State but i still think the combination of La Tech and NC State is a better two game opponent of uh, than ULM and Missouri um now Missouri, on the flip, played Central Michigan and then Kentucky. I might argue that that might even be just slightly better than the two games State started off with in La Tech and NC State, but pretty close. You know, but State's—I guess the here's the here's the driving point of this: um, State's two games and they're two and zero against are is a better, you know, combined two opponents than just about everybody else in the SEC has played. I know it's a quirky way to look at it, but, you know, Arkansas looked really good and they played Rice and Texas. That's up there in terms of the best two right out of the shoes. It's not Alabama. You know, they went Miami, who was overrated, we've seen, and Mercer, who's a good FCS. You know, it's, it's not Florida. It's really not Ole Miss either. Um, if you were to look, it, it you know, Ole Miss is two, Louisville, and then Austin P out of the shoots. Uh, neither of those compared to the two really that state has played, in my opinion. I mean, LaTeX a better team than Austin P, and NC State's a better team than Louisville. Um, so, yeah. So I would say that you know Georgia having to play Clemson out of the, the gate, but then turn around playing UAB, um, Missouri's is pretty salty there in that they started with Central Michigan and then a road game at Kentucky but states um got two wins against you compare it to the rest of the SEC right now anyway uh, there aren't many of the other SEC teams that have played a combined two better opponents than Mississippi State has uh, in the first two weeks just one man's opinion you're free to agree or disagree all right that'll do it i'm Matt. this is the better than average podcast thanks to you for listening and sharing it around. Let me know what we can do different, better otherwise. And uh, putting this out here on a Sunday night, going to stick with a Sunday Wednesday schedule going forward. So episode 12 will come up on Wednesday and that'll be jumping ahead and doing a little preview going into Memphis. I will uh, that morning, Wednesday morning, I'll sh- shoot a reminder out there to you to send me some questions if you have any. And this time, I'll give you more time to get them in there. I gave you pretty short notice back on episode 10, so I'll do a better job this time around. Thanks to Mississippi Land Bank for the support, as well as Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance. Y'all support them, please. If you're still listening at this point, please do that. Let them know that you heard about them here. Uh, that helps me, certainly, but I think it helps you too and helps them. And I really do hope that you'll consider them. If you have a land need, go to Mississippi Land Bank. You have an insurance need. I'm telling you, you can't go wrong with Mississippi Farm Bureau Insurance here in the state. Thanks for listening, and I'll see you on the next one.